Praise God. Don't forget to sign up for life groups if you haven't already done that. We've already got a, I think there's six groups this semester, so one of them is already closed, but that leaves you five to choose from. So be sure and do that. Everybody have a message guide? Okay. Next weekend, uh, Mike Manuel is going to be here. And uh, Mike will be here Saturday night and Sunday morning. It'll be two different messages. And uh, Mike's from uh, West Virginia. And uh, he comes every year. And uh, has just been a real uh, dear friend of this ministry um, from way, way back. And so be sure and put it on your calendar and come out next Saturday. And, uh, and if you can, come out again Sunday and take part in what Mike is going to have to say, and uh, so be ready for that. Amen? Let's open our Bibles to the book of Matthew, and we're going to continue tonight. Uh, Mike's coming next weekend, and then we're going to pick up two weeks from tonight, and uh, we're going to continue talking about biblical community, and uh, last week we talked about the cross and the church how the altar and the temple in the Old Testament was a picture of, it was a preview of the cross and the church. And uh, tonight we're going to concentrate more on the church, the body of Christ, as we talk about biblical community. And uh, I left you last week with this statement that says, in giving himself, Christ held an object in view. The scripture says in Hebrews that Jesus endured the suffering of the cross, despising its shame for the joy that was set before him. And when Jesus gave himself to the cross, he gave himself with an object in view. He had an objective, he had a purpose. And the Lord saw through the cross that heavenly object, the body of Christ, the church. And we can't understand God's eternal purpose in community. Remember, The God that we worship has existed eternally in community together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We can't understand God's purpose in community apart from the cross. For the intention of God was for the cross to bring us directly to the church. And it was the cross, it was the death of Jesus that brought forth the church. And I asked this question before, and I ask you again tonight, who is the church? Is the church this building? Is the church an institution, an organization? No, the church is a people. It's not an organization. It's an organism. It's a living organism. It is the body of Christ. There is an organization. There is a government associated with it. There is all of that. But it's not a business. It's not any of those things. It is the living expression of Jesus Christ in the earth. So let's talk about this tonight. What is the church? Is the church the universal body of believers who are born again and and have become partakers of Christ's life? Is that what the church is? Yeah, it is. That is a definition of the church. How about this? Is the church the unseen company of believers, past, present, and future, who are one in Christ? Is that a definition, valid definition of the church? And the answer is yes, that is a definition. That does define the church. How about this? Is the church every redeemed person now made one with God and one another in heavenly places in Christ? Ephesians says we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Does that define us as the church? Yes, it does. We are the redeemed people of God, one with God, one with one another in heavenly places in Christ. But is that all the church is? No, it's not. If we're not careful in talking about some of these things, we get into the the attitude that the church is this mystical, spiritual entity that exists, but no one can see it, no one can touch it or handle it. And, And there is an aspect of the church the universal church, the body of Christ, every believer 
in all of human history brought into one new man in Jesus Christ. That is a mystical, that's a, that's a mysterious thing. It's one of the mysteries of godliness that the scripture talks about. But the church also is something very real and very tangible. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. Because when we talk about biblical community, and I say things to you like, God has existed in community in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit before time began. That is a truth. But, but if we're not careful, you can get lost in that and it can become so abstract and so out there that you can't really grasp it. And so let's talk about what the church is more than just this universal, unseen body of believers that, that we know is what the scripture describes, but it's, it's more than that. The Lord Jesus died that there might be an expression, listen to me church, the Lord Jesus died that there might be an expression here on earth of what he is in heaven. Christ died on the cross that there might be an expression of who he is in heaven here on earth. He died so that there can be a living expression of himself here in this earth. To have a working expression of his life here and now. So the church is not just this unseen spiritual entity that exists in God. Yes, it is that, but it's also a very real expression of the life of Jesus right here and right now. Go to Matthew chapter 6. And in Matthew chapter 6, actually, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And if, if you read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and I think in the in the for further reflection section of your message, God, I, I encourage you to read those three chapters in Matthew, but read them from an attitude of what is Jesus saying to us in terms of, of how we relate to one another. And you'll see that Jesus, in, in most of what Jesus had to say, it all had to do with our relationships with one another. Relationship became very crucial, so much so that Jesus left us with this commandment, a new commandment, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. And so here in Matthew chapter 6, this is what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer, beginning in Matthew 6, 9. And Jesus says, in this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Look at this, verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so God's intention has always been for His will to be done on earth even as it is in heaven. When God created Adam, when God created this universe, this created order, and He created the earth, and He planted a garden in Eden, and He formed man from the dust, and He put man in that garden, do you believe that it was God's will that, that man should live in that garden in such a way that the will of God would be done here on earth, even as it is in heaven? I believe absolutely so. So long before there was ever a written scripture, long before Jesus walked the earth as we know him in the Gospels, the eternal purpose of God was always that, his will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. It's why he created Adam. In his image. It's why he breathed his breath of life in him. It's why he didn't make Eve from the dust of the earth. But he brought Eve from the side of Adam. Adam is a type of the church. Uh, yeah, Adam is a type of Christ. Eve is a type of the church. And we see that God was painting this beautiful portrait for us. So that we don't miss it. And so God's intention has always been for his will to be done on earth. As it is in heaven. So what is the expression of the Father's will? What is the expression of the Father's will? Well, we could, we could get a sheet of paper out and we could begin to list. And we would need a, to, to get another sheet of paper and another sheet of paper. We could, we could make a long, long, long pages of lists of things that, that would be the expression of the Father's will. But the reality is it's not what, but it's who. Because the expression of the Father's will is not in a what, it's in a who. It's in a person. And the name of that person is 
Jesus Christ. Christ is the expression of the Father's will. Amen, church? And if Christ is the expression of the Father's will, and if we are the body of Christ, guess whose will should be expressed through our life? Guess whose will should be manifest through our life? The will of the Father. And what does the will of the Father look like? The will of the Father looks just like Jesus. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Because Jesus was the perfect expression of the Father's will. Not just, remember, not just emotionally, not just in his thought processes, not just in his behavior, but I'm telling you what, they were one in essence. They were one. Now that you are born again, when you are born again into Jesus Christ, when you're born from above, born of the Spirit, and you become a partaker of the divine nature, do you think God is just wanting you to conform, to give mental assent to His ways, to His regulations, to His commandments, that you go ahead and memorize this book so you know exactly what God wants you to do, and you give mental assent to a bunch of things God lists in the Bible? And that's the way you're supposed to live. Is that the expression of the Father's will that He is looking for? No. If that were so, then the law would have been the expression of His will that He was looking for. But the law was not the expression of His will. As a matter of fact, the law was put here to cause us to stumble so we would look beyond ourselves and see that God had a purpose in mind greater than ourselves, greater than any system of religion that we could ever come up with. God had something in mind much greater. He had Jesus Christ in mind. And so let's talk about the body of Christ. So the church is the expression of Christ in the earth. It's His body. The term body of Christ testifies to the fact that the life of the body is one life. Who is the life of the body of Christ. Who might that life be? Jesus. Jesus is the head. We are the body, right? There's a reason why the scripture paints this picture of Jesus being the head and the church being the body. And so what is the life? What is the one life that, that gives life to the body of Christ? Well, it's the life of Christ, right? So, also, it signifies that all the members of the body are one body. How many fingers do you have? How many toes do you have? How many feet do you have? How many hands do you have? Arms, legs, okay? But, you now we can make a list of all the different members of our body, but they're all put together in how many bodies do you have? One. And so, just like... A physical body, the body of Christ signifies all the members of the body are now how many bodies? One body. And that body is what? It is the church. That's you and that's I. That's me. You and I, we are the church. We are the body of Christ. So let's talk about the physical body as an example. Who, who here is alive? Okay, just testing you guys. Okay, your body may be alive with one life, right? You don't have two lives inside of you, do you? There's only one life in you. It's the life of your body. It's you. You're alive, right? Let's talk physically for a moment. You may have one, you have one body, and you're alive with one life, but the members of your body, your feet, your hands, your knee your elbows, your stomach, may have their unity and their function. Who, who's ever had a stomach bug here? When you have a really severe stomach bug, is it fair to say that the unity and the function of your body is disrupted? Huh? I, it is with me. Now, you still have one body, right? And there's still one life governing that body, but now something has come in there 
And it has disrupted the unity and the function of that body. Some germ, some bug, some injury. Have you ever had joint problems? Let's say knee problems. How many of you know you don't give your knee a thought until it doesn't work anymore? Or you just take your back for granted until your back doesn't want to move the way you want to move. Matter of fact, it doesn't even want to move at all. And so when those things happen, you realize you're still one body, you still have one life, but I'm telling you what, the unity and the function of that body has been diminished, has been disrupted. And so when this happens, their coordination, the coordination of the members is at best diminished if not stopped entirely. Are you tracking with me? We're talking about the body of Christ. But I'm talking to you in terms of the physical body right now. So the body still has only one life, and it's living out of that life, but the expression of that life has been upset and has been hindered. You can all relate to that because we've all had that happen with our physical bodies. Well, let's talk about the body of Christ now in actual reality. Now see, there's there's one side of this conversation we can have and we can talk about the body of Christ, we're all one in Christ, and we are. And we're to be one mind. And we can say, well, you know, Christ is our head, and, and, and we're all united together in heavenly places, and, and, and the Lord has made us one. But there is an expression of that reality that, that needs to be manifest in the earth. I mean, God did create an earth. He did create a physical man, and He did put that man here, and He did put His spirit inside of that man. And he left us here and told us to occupy until he returns. He told us to love one another the way he's loved us. To forgive one another the way he's forgiven us. To do unto others the way we would have others do unto us. I mean, Jesus told us these things for a reason. He, he said this. He said, the world will know that you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another. And what that tells me is that Jesus left us here in this earth as an expression of himself so that those who have not come to faith in Christ can see a way that is different than the way they're living in. How many of you know there's only two ways? Jesus said this. There's two ways. There's a broad way that seems very easy, that that is great and broad and Wide and many go down this way, but it leads to what? Destruction. And he said there's another way, and it's narrow, and it's constricted. But this is the way that leads to life. There's two ways. There's a way to death and a way to life. There's two categories every human being falls into. Life or death. Guess which one is which? Jesus is the way to life. Why is he called narrow? Why is he the narrow way? Because he is the only way. He's the only way. There's only one way into life. And so, the church is the, church is the body of Christ. And all who are born again, we may be sharing one life, the life of the Lord Jesus. And yet, in the body, that life may not be showing itself in a coordinated and properly ordered expression. We're like a physical body that has life. It's one body governed by one life, but it's not functioning right. Why? Because it's sick. Something has invaded it. Something has gotten in there and disrupted everything. And so when this happens in the body of Christ, when the body of Christ is not expressing itself properly, There is a contradiction that is contrary to the nature of Christ. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. So in the oneness of God, there is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living and working and communing in perfect harmony. No contradiction. But when division comes in, and there has never been any division, but when division comes into the body, that becomes contrary 
to the very nature of God Himself. And so when we talk about the church, the body of Christ, in actual reality, we can't stick our head in the sand and pretend like there's no problems, can we? Read in the New Testament and you'll see that everything addressed in the New Testament has to do with how those believers related to one another. I mean, you can even read the Lord's Prayer in in the Sermon on the Mount. Those three chapters of Scripture in Matthew deal almost exclusively, if not totally, how we relate to one another. Our attitude. How we show ourselves. How we respond to others. How we treat others. How we judge others. How we love others. It's all about relate. Why was Jesus so hung up on this? I'm telling you why. Because he created man in his image according to his likeness. And he breathed the very life of himself into man and made man become an expression of himself. And this is Jesus who has eternally existed in perfect unity and harmony with the Father and with the Spirit. And now He has, by His grace, brought man into this community. And read His prayer in John 17. It was His prayer for us that we would be one as He is one. Now if we continue, I say we, I'm talking about the church as a whole. If the church continues to live with this myopic view of who she is, and it's all about me, and it's all about what happens here in my sphere of influence, and and in a sense, that is very important. Because, you know, here's the reality, guys. There's not anything we can do about any other congregation or group of people that are fussing and fighting. I mean, just reading the news, it's happening every day. I mean, you've got major Christian denominations who are threatening to split over this and split over that, and they're making national and world headlines, and they're saying, well, we're, we're gonna, not going to go with the Americans anymore, we're going to go with the Africans, and, because the Africans are more... T- I mean, and, and I can't blame them based on a lot of the things that are happening, but do you see where the enemy is sitting back, and he is just having a field day? Because there's not anything that we are doing in that realm of things that remotely even looks like Jesus. And you know what? The reality is there's nothing we can do about that except pray for it. We can't affect what the Lutherans or the Episcopalians or the Presbyterians or the Charismatics or the Whoever-matics, the Automatics and the Manualmatics and the whatever. We, We can't do anything about them. Except pray for them. But you know what we can do? We can, ourselves, purpose to become the expression of Jesus in our own lives, in our own families, in our own neighborhoods, in our own places of work, in our business places. When we're out, whether we're out recreating or whether we're shopping or whatever we might be doing, interacting with a waiter or a waitress, whatever, we can purpose to be the expression of Jesus. When we're together, we can purpose that the witness we will give the world will be the same witness that God has given to us. A God who has eternally existed in unity, in love, in perfect community. We can purpose to understand that there is a world watching, that there are powers and principalities watching. They hear what we say. They see what we do. And what we say and what we do is communicating something about Jesus. And it's either making a mockery of Him in the church or it is enforcing what his eternal purpose was, and that was to bring glory to himself. And the question is, as the church, are you bringing glory to him, or are you defaming his name and diminishing the witness that he has created you to be?
That's a tough question, but that's a valid question. See, we're, we chronically want to come to church and just have everybody tell us it's all going to be okay. Doesn't matter how, how bad your problems are, it's okay, it's, it's, it's all going to be alright. We can't pay them up, it's okay, just believe God. God's going to send you the money, He's going to send you this, He's going to send you that. And if you just give more, then you'll receive more. And if, if you'll just, you know, we just want to throw out these refrigerator promises to people. But, but somehow, we're going to have to get down to the crux of the matter if we're the church, if we are the body of Christ, if we're the very expression of Jesus in the earth, when are we going to get the revelation of that and when are we going to be able, when are we going to begin to image that? So today, the expression of Christ's life through his body is filled with contradictions. And you know what? That's not his will. These contradictions come in the form of, and I'm just going to read right from, go over to Galatians chapter 5. Go to Galatians 5, verse 19. Galatians 5, 19. These contradictions, contradictions to what? Contradictions to the nature of God, to who Christ is. To who Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is. This whole concept of, of biblical community. These things are contrary to, to this truth. And to the very nature of God. Idolatry. Manipulation. Hatred. Contentions. Jealousies. Anger. Selfish ambition. Dissensions. Heresies. And we could go on and on and on. And these are called what? They're called the works of the flesh. And the works of the flesh are contrary to the nature of God. They're contrary to this whole concept of biblical community. They're contrary to everything that Jesus desires us to be. Everything he died for us to become. Those things are contrary in totality to that very nature of Christ. And those contradictions come from what is lacking. And what is lacking? What is it that is lacking that causes me to become angry? Or that causes me to fall into idolatry? Or that causes me to become divisive? Or, or get into a dissension with somebody? What is it that, that, that I am lacking that causes me to, to adopt some view or belief system that's just totally out there and not even in line with what the scripture would say. Well, we're lacking in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Namely, we're lacking in the fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Where does fruit come from? I mean, in very practical terms, on a tree, where does the fruit come from? What produces the fruit on a tree? The root? Well, what comes through the root? Huh? What comes through the root? You got the earth, the roots in the earth, and then there's something, the sap in that tree. I mean, that tree takes in the, the nutrients and the things around it. It produces this sap, and that sap flows throughout the whole tree. It's the life of the tree that produces the fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is simply the life of the Spirit that's producing these things in my life. And if we're not careful, we will deceive ourselves into thinking that we're very spiritual people desiring and running after and wanting to experience all kinds of things. But the reality is, what God wants, what God demands, is that we become vessels that manifest His fruit. See, if I've got the fruit of the Spirit called love manifesting in my life, can, can, I, can I operate in these things? To find up here in verses 19 and 20. If I've got peace flowing out of my life. Am I going to be able to, 
to have outbursts of anger? Am I going to be able to hold on to, to unforgiveness? If I've got joy just flowing out of my life in spite of my circumstances, how can I, how can I become so stressed out that I, I, I'm about to lose my mind? Now, I'm not saying, I'm not diminishing real struggles and things that we go through because the things we go through are real. The storm the disciples rode out on the Sea of Galilee was a real storm and they were really afraid for their lives. But Jesus was really in that boat and he really said, peace be still. And the, and the storm ceased. And he looked at them and he said, why do you doubt? Oh, you have little faith. When the, when the life of Christ, when the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that Spirit dwelling me, when it begins to manifest that life in the form of the fruit of the Spirit, when that begins to manifest in my life, these other things called the works of the flesh, I, I can't operate in both of those. If I'm operating in one, I'm not operating in the other. I can't have the fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh at the same time. I can't love you and, be, be, and, 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 and hate you at the same time. I, I can't forgive you and yet hold unforgiveness towards you at the same time. Unforgiveness is a work of the flesh. Forgiveness is born out of the fruit of the Spirit. I can't, I can't have them both. God wants His life to manifest through us. Why? Because that's who He is. He is love. You notice the, the Scripture doesn't just say Jesus loved. It says He is love. It doesn't just say God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. It says God is love. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to give you peace only. He said, I am your peace. I am your joy. And so we see that these things that are called fruit, and there's a reason why the Holy Spirit called them fruit and not works. Works are things we do. Works are things we can work up. But fruit is not anything we can do. You can't work up fruit. You can't produce fruit. You can't make fruit. Only God can. Do you realize that? The fruit of the Spirit is only something the Holy Spirit in you can do. You can work up something that looks like love, but it's not love. You can work up something that looks like peace, but it's not peace. You can work up something that looks like joy, but you might just be a drunken fool. What we can work up is, is a counterfeit. It's only what God can produce, what He can manifest by the power of His Spirit... That is the real thing. And God wants us to walk in the real thing. He wants us to image and to manifest the real thing. And you know what God is doing? I believe this with all of my heart. God is calling the counterfeits in. He is bringing to attention the counterfeit. And He is beginning to show the difference between the real and the lie between the truth and what is utterly false. And I believe because of God's grace and mercy and unconditional love for His children, He will not allow us in these last days, if we are truly His children, He will not allow us to remain in the lie. I believe that. If He's got to shake everything loose from us, he will shake it loose. If he's got to bring to nothing everything that we've held dear, he will bring it to nothing. Because he loves us that much. Because he understands unless we are living in, walking in, and operating out of truth, it is the only way we can truly be free. It's the only way we can truly stay free. It's the only way that we will make a real difference in this world. There's too many things out there that look like the truth that are not the truth. And God is not going to share His glory. God is not going to share 
anything of himself with anything that is not true. He won't do it. And thank God that he won't. And so when, when I begin, when my life begins to manifest those contradictions, it means there is something lacking. And that thing that is lacking is from the Holy Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. So let's talk about the life of Christ. The life of Christ is given to us for a purpose. If you're born again in this building tonight, you possess the life of Christ. Do you realize you don't have your life and the life of Christ? You don't. Put, put those up. Give me that first slide. This is really where we're going to go in two weeks, but I'm going to give you just a... a I, I had drawn these out on a sheet of paper for someone this week, and Caleb was gracious enough to, to make some slides for me. But if you are born again tonight, you don't have your own life. Now you notice what is dividing this page. There's a cross dividing that page. Do you realize there's a cross that divides history? Everything is divided at the cross. Everything before the cross is of the old order of the old creation. Everything on this side of the cross that has gone through the cross is no longer of the old creation, is no longer of the old order. It is of the new. Jesus was called the first Adam and the, la uh, the last Adam, and there was a first Adam. And we're, we're born in the flesh, we're born of the first Adam. And there, there we are, right there. I mean, that's me standing right there before I was born again. And if you're on this side of the cross, you're still in the flesh. Go to that next slide. So what happens when we're born again? When we're born again, when we're born again, what's that mean? If I'm born again, what have I? I have become crucified with Christ. Paul says it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I have been crucified with Christ. So when I'm crucified with Christ, guess what? I go to the cross, I'm crucified with Christ, I'm buried with Christ, and when I'm resurrected, do you notice there's only one man on this side of the cross? Do you know there's only one man that God the Father recognizes? I used to believe this. I used to believe that we're all going to be there together, and God's going to know me, and He's going to know you, and He's going to accept me in because I'm with Jesus. And I'm just going to get there at the gate, and I'm going to say, Oh, Father, it's me, I'm with Jesus. Uh-uh. If I'm with Jesus, i got a problem. <laughs> I can't be with Jesus. I'm either in Him or I have no chance. And when we're crucified with Christ, you see, I disappear, you disappear, the other disappears, and now there is, on this side of the cross, one new man, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. There's one body. The head is called Jesus. The body, that is the church. We make up that body. Now remember, I talked about this mystical, spiritual, universal body of Christ. That's Him right there. But I'm telling you what, there is an expression of a reality called the church, the body of Christ. That expression is right here and right now. You express that reality of one new man called Jesus Christ. You express that reality in your life every day, on your job, in your business, at home, at school, wherever you are, doing whatever you're doing, you are the expression of that man if you have gone through that cross and have been crucified, buried, and raised with him. And now the life of Christ is in you. You don't have a life anymore. Your life was crucified. Your life was buried. And when you were resurrected, you were raised with his life. It's no longer I who live, Paul says, but Christ lives in me. And so now the life of Christ is given to us for a purpose. And what is that purpose? It, that purpose is to bring about this properly governed, listen to me church, and properly ordered and regulated and coordinated organism called the body of Christ. Called the church. It's like your body. Do you know how well regulated? Do you understand how well governed my body is right now? I didn't say I'm full of grace and I, I could 
be a ballerina. But I'm telling you what, just the very fact that I'm walking and I'm not stumbling all over myself, do you realize how well governed this body is? You know who designed that system? His name is God. God designed our bodies. That's why the scripture says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Just to be able to walk and talk and clap and do all these things all at the same time. Maybe you can walk and chew gum at the same time. I don't know. Maybe you can pat your head and rub your tummy and semicircles and counterclockwise. Maybe you're so coordinated you can do all those things. But I'm telling you what, just walking, just the mere fact that you can walk and not fall down means you're very well governed. You're very well ordered and very well regulated. And I'm telling you what, Jesus Christ died to birth a church that is just as, not really even more governed and more regulated and more ordered. And guess where that government comes from? And guess where that order and that regulation comes from? It comes from the head. Who is the head? Jesus is our head. And so the church is governed. The government of the church is Christ. It's head. It's the head. The cross was and the cross is intended to lead to this reality of a functioning organism under the government of Christ as its head. You are to function under your headship and that is Christ. You say, Pastor Jeff, does that mean I'm a robot? Absolutely not. No more than Jesus was a robot. Do you think Jesus was a robot? Jesus said, I don't do anything unless I see my Father do it. I don't say anything unless I hear my Father say it. Do you think Jesus was a robot? No way. But here's the thing. Jesus and his Father were one in essence. I mean, they were so unified. It's not that Jesus had to. It's that Jesus found his pleasure. He found pleasure in doing what the Father did. He found pleasure in saying what he heard the Father say. He found his joy, the fullness of his joy, in being one with his Father. And the question for us is, do we find the fullness of our joy in being one with our Lord? Do we find the fullness of joy and happiness and satisfaction in being one with Him? Because that's where God wants to take you. It really is. It really is. That doesn't mean, as you well know, everything in life is going to be a bed of roses. Every turn you take is going to be the right turn. It doesn't mean that. And Jesus never promised us that. But he did promise that he would always be with us. He did promise to give us his life. He did promise that in the midst of the storm, he would be our peace. He did promise that in the midst of walking through the valley of the shadow of death, he would be right there. And he would be the one to lead us and to guide us through our darkness. You have a life. It's the life of Christ if you're born again tonight. You don't have your own life. And so the cross clears the way for the life of Christ. Go to Galatians. Well, you're already there, aren't you? Let's go back up to verse 13. Galatians 5. Let's look at verse 13. You know what I find myself these days? I used to just go through and pick out scriptures. You know, like the ones you have in your scripture rock. Do they still make scripture rocks? Remember those? Scripture rocks. It's a little rock, I guess, that had little verses of scripture. Nothing wrong with that. Except here's what I'm finding. I'm getting a much fuller picture of things. Now that I'm not just reading my little scripture rock scriptures. But when I begin to read the whole counsel of God and what God is saying to me in his word, it gives me a fuller picture. It gives me a deeper understanding of who he is. And how he relates to me and how he interacts with me and what he desires for me even when nothing makes sense. 
And here in Galatians chapter 5, let's begin in verse 13. Because I want you to understand why Paul is writing about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. He says in verse 13, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. In other words, yeah, you have freedom. You have been set free, but don't use your freedom as an opportunity to just please and satisfy yourself at the expense of others around you. But through love, out of your freedom, through love, serve one another. In other words, get your eyes and your thoughts off yourself and get them onto someone else. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, I just want to tell you something. Now, I I was a youth pastor for many years, and I'm not saying this scripture doesn't apply. But, but man, I've used that scripture as a youth pastor, as a pastor, uh, so many times. But, but so many times I use that pastor, that, that scripture, almost exclusively dealing with issues and things that, that really are not what Paul was talking about here. Do you see what Paul just got through saying? Look at this, church. Understand what Paul is dealing with. He says, don't use your liberty, basically, to, as an opportunity that's going to hurt somebody else. He said, because here's the law fulfilled. Love your neighbor as yourself. Stop biting and devouring one another, lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He says, you guys are in the flesh. Fighting, dividing, dissenting, using your liberty to harm one another. He said, don't do that. That's not why you have liberty. Matter of fact, you're commanded to love one another. And if you walk in the Spirit, you won't do those things. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit. See, he's not just talking about adulterers and thieves and drunkards and drug addicts and prostitutes. See, as the church, can I just be honest with you? As the church, we are so self-righteous. And we put ourselves up there and we look down at all the prostitutes just like those Pharisees did. Caught her red-handed, Jesus. Let's, let's kill her right now. You know what the law says. We can kill her right now. I mean, did you, you sense the bloodlust in those guys? I mean, they were ready to just kill her right then and there. Out of their self-righteousness. And what did Jesus do? Jesus told her, go and sin no more. Did he tell her not to sin? Yeah, he told her not to sin. But you know who Jesus really had a problem with? It wasn't the prostitute. It was the Pharisee. That's who Jesus had the real problem with, was the Pharisee. Jesus never called any prostitute that I can read in Scripture, any tax collector I can find in Scripture. He never called them a brood of vipers. He never called them sons of the devil. He never called anyone like that those names, but it was the religious leaders. It was the self-righteous and the pious and the ones that were walking way up here looking down their noses at all the people who are so sinful. You know who Paul's talking to right here? Paul is talking to the church right here. He's talking to the religious. He's talking to the ones that are so caught up in pride because they've got liberty now in Christ. Because they've come into their gifting. And he says, hey guys, you better be careful. You haven't been given liberty to use irresponsibly. As a matter of fact, you're supposed to take that liberty and serve one another in love. Because the law, if I... He's talking to the Galatians who wanted to go back under the law. He said, if you want to keep the law, he said, even the law says, love your neighbor as yourself. And then the law is fulfilled in this. Walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the, the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. 
And these are contrary to one another. Why? Because they are, because who is the Spirit? The Lord is the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3.17 The Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. Liberty. The Lord is the Spirit. And He says, walk in the Spirit. He said, and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusts against the Spirit. The flesh lusts against the Lord. Where does the Lord live? He lives in you. He lives in me. And guess what? This flesh and this carnal fleshly mind is lusting against the Lord in me. And that flesh wants to lash out at you. And that flesh wants to please itself and live for itself. And if I let it, it will. It will deceive me. It will whisper sweet nothings in my ear if I allow it to. But he, Paul says, don't do that. Walk in the Spirit and put away the flesh. For the flesh is contrary to the Spirit. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And then he goes on in verse 19 and he, he lists the works of the flesh, all those things. And look what he says in verse 21. Envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Who practices such things? Who practices living in the flesh? people who are in the flesh why is Paul writing to these guys saying you're not in the flesh anymore he said it in Romans he said if you're Christ you're not in the flesh anymore you're in the spirit why are you living like you're in the flesh and if you are practicing these things if this is what's coming out of your life if this is the fruit your tree is producing the problem's not your fruit the problem is your root if this is what your life is producing he said, then you got a problem. You're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because you're not in Christ. Because if you were in Christ, you wouldn't be in the flesh. You wouldn't, producing, you wouldn't be producing the works of the flesh. You'd be producing the fruit of the Spirit. And that's why he goes on. And he says, but the fruit of the Spirit are all of those things I listed before. And those, look at verse 24, and those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Do you reckon yourself crucified? Dead to sin but alive to God? Which mind are you living out of? Are you living out of the mind of Christ? Or are you living out of this fleshly mind? What is your life producing? See, if you're, if you're not in Christ, your life can't produce anything good. It can't do it. Why? Because Jesus said, Good fruit can't come from a bad tree. But if we live, verse 25, in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. In other words, if you have crucified the flesh and its desires, if you have been crucified with Christ, buried with Christ, and raised with Christ, if you have received the Spirit, so then walk in the Spirit. He said, guys, what are you all doing? You are in Christ. Are you trying to go back under the law? Are you trying to do, why are you doing this? You are living contrary to your nature. Don't you know the flesh and the spirit are contrary to one another? The flesh is contrary to the Lord. Look what he says in verse 26. Let us not become conceited he goes right back to where he started let us not become conceited provoking one another envying one another Paul wasn't talking to a bunch of homosexuals and abortionists we can list our social sins that the church gets all upset about and I'm against those it's a travesty but I'm wondering, why isn't the division and the disunity in the body of Christ as much of a travesty? How is it that we will let man-made things divide us when we are spiritual beings? 
How can we allow man-made doctrines? How can we allow our own flesh and pleasing this flesh become a point of division when we have been made one in Christ? You see what Paul is addressing here? Paul is saying, you guys, hey, listen. You are in Christ. You've received the Spirit. You need to walk in the Spirit. God has called us into His body. And if the cross is doing the work God intended it to do, then we should be more appalled at division within the church than we should be at sin in the world. I believe that. I mean, think about it. The world is trapped in sin. The world is the world. They are in sin and death. They can't get out of it. Only Christ can get them out. Why are we shocked by their sin? Why are we shocked by the homosexuals parading in San Francisco or in New Orleans? I don't like it any more than you do, but should we really be shocked? Isn't that what they do? They're in sin. But why? Why aren't we shocked? Listen, the church is one in Christ. Thus division is contrary to the nature of Christ. That's what we ought to be shocked at. Then when the church stands as one man, the body of Christ, you know what? There will be a convicting power of sin in the world. Why should the world be convicted right now? What is she seeing in the church that is going to convict her? Our fussing and fighting? Our debating over stupid, ignorant things that don't even matter? Is that going to convict the world? Now, remember what I said earlier. We can't do anything about that right here. But you know what? The stand that you take, the expression of Christ you allow through your life, see, you can become a convicting power to the world around you. The way the city of Taylor looks at Christ's fellowship, the way they look at you as a believer in Christ and how you interact with the rest of the body, how your life expresses worship to the Lord, the world can see that. And if you are imaging Christ the way Christ wants you to, if you are letting the cross do the work that it's meant to do, and that's put under this flesh, and put under our selfish ambitions, and put under our selfishness, if you're allowing the cross to do that work in you, you know what? You will become a convicting power. As you follow the Lord, guess what's going to follow you? The same signs that the scripture talks about. We all wonder, where's the power of the church? I'll tell you where it's at. We're wasting all of our time and all of our energy fighting one another when we ought to be following the Lord, expressing the life and the fruit of Jesus, and then the Spirit will, as He wills, He'll, he'll, he'll give it to you. He'll manifest it right there in your life. But see, we want to have it both ways. We want to have a dual nature. I want to hold on to my flesh because I like it. But I also want to have the spiritual power over here. And you know what? It doesn't work that way. Because the cross, the work of the cross was for one thing and one thing alone. And that was to put under the flesh. Because not even the law, Paul said in Romans, had the power to deal with the flesh. And that's why Jesus, the Son of God, had to come in the form of sinful flesh to put under that flesh at the cross. And if we let the cross have its work, our flesh will go under, never to be brought up again. Those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. But let Christ be seen. Let Christ be known. Let Christ be the expression of your life. Come on up, worship team. Amen, church? I'm telling you, 
God is crucifying flesh. And you know what? The flesh that's getting crucified does not like it. Doesn't like it. It's kicking, it's screaming, it's resisting. But I'm telling you what, God is all about crucifying the flesh. And if we will allow that work to be done in us, God is preparing to do a glorious thing through your life as you allow your flesh to be put under. Thank you, Lord. Conway, can we pray for you tonight?